Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. How do you disagree? How do you disagree? Now, if you are married, you might have had a disagreement in your life. If you are a parent, you might have had a disagreement with a child. If you've been a child, you might have had a disagreement with your parent. If you have a friend, you might have had a disagreement with your friend. But I think that I could say universally, we've all had some disagreements. Amen? Let me tell you something that I don't like. I don't tell you that very often. I don't like when people leave our church. I lose every person with heartbrokenness. Believe it or not, you might think, well, Chris, you probably are glad to see them go. Not so. To me, that reminds me of the brokenness of humankind and where creation groans and relationships fail. And a lot of times they are matters of opinion. So how do I stay committed when I disagree in God's church, in God's family, in my relationships? Last week when John preached, he preached over Romans 12 and Romans 13. And one of the passages that he read was in Romans 12, verse 16a. Live in harmony with one another. Well, how can we live in harmony with one another when we have so much disagreement among each other in areas of opinion? How do we live with each other? Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul was talking about the law versus serving the law versus serving Christ. And we're no longer under bondage or slavery to law like we've seen in the book of Romans. But we've got to realize that the Old Testament law's purpose was to be a mirror It just shows us how that we are sinners in need of God's grace. So here we are, all sinners in need of God's grace, differing on areas of opinion, if you will, that we disagree. And and first, as I'm saying all of this, and we're going to get into the meat of this passage that we're going to look at today in Romans as we wrap up Romans today. And I'd be remiss in saying that I, I really appreciated what Dan and John preached over the last two weeks, and I appreciate your relationship in our congregation and being a mature enough congregation to handle the book of Romans because it brings up a lot of areas that are very relevant and very applicable, but also very painful in our lives, as Paul has taught us, inspired by God in the book of Romans. And at the same time, we've got to realize that there are real areas of disagreement where we have to still live in harmony. 
So I want to give you a quick review of what we've looked at in the book of Romans over the last 11 weeks. This is the 11th week. Quick review. Four parts to Romans. There's really bad news that all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes you. And the wages of sin is death, and that's what we deserve. But the good news in chapters 5 through 8 was the grace of God is sufficient for our sin. It covers it by the blood of Jesus. And then in chapters 9 through 11, we, we see the implications of the good news, what that really means for us as we live in Christ. And then chapters 12 through 16, we, we saw the application, or we're going to see the application of the good news. How do we work this grace of God as sinners out? And remember, the overlying principle, or the big idea of this series was true north, that we're calibrating our compasses, we're calibrating our lives to true north. And over the last couple of years, we could get off course and we are placing our lives in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which is true north. And that prepares us for Romans chapter 14 as we wrap up today, which I think is very interesting and very relevant and applicable in the area of opinion. This is what the Apostle Paul writes, inspired by God, in verse 1 of chapter 14. He said, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Over the last couple of years, do you think we've had some opinions in our society? Navigating the course of a church, let alone a culture, there has been all kinds of opinions. And most of us like our opinions. In fact, we wouldn't say this, but most of us think our opinions are better than your opinions. And at the same time, are there things that really don't matter in the Bible? And we've got to remember there's objective truth and objective morality. When we're dealing with thus saith the Lord, and the Bible says this, then there's objective morality because God hasn't changed over the last few thousand years. It is true for then and it's true for now. But there is also subjective truth, and our legislators and our Supreme Court is dealing with laws of the land, and most of them are tied to subjective truth, and so then there becomes a subjective morality. And a lot of times our laws deal with this subjective morality and they change. But God's word and God's objective morality does not change. And that's why biblical truth is so, so very important. That right and wrong of things. God has said it in his word, therefore we as Christians submit ourselves to his word. Now, 
Since I've been gone, I just kind of want to give you a catch you up as if you're online joining us today and you're, you're joining us and this is the end of our Roman series and you missed some of, some of the sermons in this series, you can join us on podcast, you can go to YouTube. We're just thankful that you're a part of us, but I want to remind you that it's not the same sitting around a swimming pool as I did the first week I was gone and listening to the pot, to, to the live feed or driving home and listening to the live feed as John preached. It's just not the same because we need each other and we were created for community. And if you're trying to live Christianity isolated and alone, it's not biblical. Uh, we're taught where two or three are gathered in his name. There you are in the midst. But in that time, I got to be at an Airbnb with our son and his family and our daughter and her family and my parents. We were in Bonita Springs, Florida, and they, my parents live in North Fort Myers. And so I got to spend the after, one afternoon with them. And the next day, I got to bring them to where we were staying in the Airbnb. And they got to meet great grandkids that they had never seen. And a daughter-in-law they'd never met, or a granddaughter-in-law they'd never met. And so that was huge for us as a family to gather. And I just want you to know, in the areas of opinion, as we 12 people and 14 that afternoon lived together, there was a few disagreements. And I, I want to say, and I don't want to complain, that I would not recommend Florida as a place to vacation in July. Because it is really, really hot. But it was a great place to gather for us as a family. Saying all of this in relationship to opinions, Augustine said this, and if you're a Christian churcher for a long time and you grew up in the Christian church, you might have heard this before. It wasn't attributed to Augustine, but this is one of our statements. It says, in essentials we have unity, in non-essentials we have liberty or freedom, but in all things love. And in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. So that brings us to the question, what are the essentials of the faith? What are the essentials? There are matters essential for salvation. Those are areas that the gospel is preached, that Jesus actually lived, died, was buried, and resurrected. That we actually need to identify with Jesus as Christ and Lord of our lives, Savior and Lord of our lives. That we need to confess him. We need to repent of our sin. We need to be baptized into Christ. And then we need fellowship in God's church. Those are essentials. There are matters, there are matters that are important to the faith and the church, though not essential for salvation. Now, Michael Bird, a theologian, has divided these things up in this way. So this is not a thus saith the Lord. It's actually a matter of indifference, a non-essential, an opinion. And sometimes we've got to realize that as a community and as one another, that these things are disputable, they are non-essential, they are matters of opinion, and as we, as a tribe, as a community, as a congregation, share together, we have to go one way, in unity. 
And so that's the challenge. So not everything in Christianity is a first-order issue. And that's why we can, as a universal church, come together with people who don't agree with us all the time and love each other and accept each other and encourage one another and still gather. So it's not all spelled out. And that makes it difficult for some of you that are very black and white and want the answers. And sometimes there are no good answers. It's a mystery. It is left up to you, guided by the Holy Spirit with wisdom. Now, Paul goes on in Romans 14, verse 2. He says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So here we go from... Matters of opinion to meat and vegetables, vegan or a carnivore? That doesn't make sense, does it? But Paul is addressing a culture where meat had been sacrificed to idols. And remember, the Jews had been gone for five years and were just coming back to the church in Rome because they'd been exiled because of being so quarrelsome and being so argumentative, and they're coming back into this church where the Gentiles were eating meat offered to idols, and the Jews just couldn't do it. It would be, it would be like they were meeting for church, and outside the church building, somebody would be grilling steaks. And the Jews would say, you can't do that. And the Gentiles said, this is really good. You're missing out. And it was a dispute. And then, you know, just think about life without bacon, you Gentiles. It would be rough. How would eggs be without bacon? But the Jews are saying, uh-uh. But the Gentiles say, uh-huh. And, and Jerusalem had already decided. Now, there's a Greek word for this opinion. It's called Twitter. <laughs> so if you want some opinions... Go to social media. You can find all kinds, can't you? And do they unite us or do they divide us? Remember this. This is something else I was raised with, and maybe you were too. Methods are many and principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. You know, we're not the church of the 1960s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s or the 2010s. We are a church that is preaching the Word of God, living out the Word of God in community in 2022. Things change, but principles never do. But here's the tragedy. It's churches that divide over non-essentials, opinions, because they don't introduce very many people to Jesus. And see, our mission is, our vision is to guide people home, to lead them to a loving Father, that they might know Jesus Christ as Lord. That's our vision and our mission. That's the great commission that Jesus left us with. But notice what Paul says in verse 3 of this passage. He says, not, let not one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. See, everybody is welcome at God's table, whether you're a bacon eater or a romaine lettuce eater. You're welcome at God's table. 
But here's the deal, if you think about it. The longer you're in church, and I'm talking to you who consider themselves mature in faith, the longer you're in church, the more you start to like your opinions on everything and think everyone else needs to live by your opinions. Isn't that where we go? And we think we're pretty right, don't we? I I know you all, and I think my opinions are pretty good, and they're better than yours. And if you were really honest down deep, what would you say? You like your opinions, and you think they're better than mine. It's a burden. It's a burden, I know. (laughs) So Paul goes on, he says, verse 4, So who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's not our right to judge one another, is it? Because spiritual maturity is not just developing strong convictions, it's learning to show restraint in the way you give those convictions. Now, I think I've... I'm a grandfather now, and it's been very interesting to watch our children raise their children. And they have some very strong opinions. Just ask them. And I've had the opportunity to observe. And my main goal is just to do whatever they tell me. Because I don't want to get lost in the quarreling that has to do with their raising their children. Now, the goal of parenting is to raise mature adults in Christ. I hope as a Christian parent, right? Would you all agree with that? But when they're little children, you have very specific instructions. There were right ways and wrong ways to brush your teeth and go to the bathroom and wash your hands and everything. And you have to be very specific and you have to check their breath before they go to bed to make sure they brush their teeth. Amen? As they get older, there are more general instructions. You're giving them freedom, but you're still holding them accountable as long as they live in your home. And then as teenagers and young adults, they're making some of their own decisions within limits. And then like some of you over the next few weeks, you're going to be launching them to colleges far away into jobs and living independently. And you're hoping that they will make some good choices because you've trained them for that purpose. And that's breaking your hearts as they're leaving But you're hoping that they have grown and matured. And that's the goal, to be independent, to live on their own, to be self-sustaining and maintaining. And not sending, you're not sending thousands of dollars supporting them, maybe through college somewhat, but as they get into young adulthood, that they're not living with you, but they're living on their own. Amen? So I want to look at five principles Paul gives really quickly as we wrap up today. First of all, if you'll notice in this passage, conscience matters. Conscience matters. What we feel, what we think as we live submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. 
Here's what Paul says. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. What are they fighting about? Which is the right day to worship, Saturday or Sunday? Well, a good Jew knows that you need to worship on the Sabbath. You know, keep the Sabbath holy, Old Testament. And the Gentile says, no, Jesus resurrected on the first day, so we should gather on the Sunday. What does Paul say? He says it doesn't matter. It's a matter of opinion. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 Paul writes to the church of Colossae. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Guess what they were fighting over? Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Guess what they were fighting over? These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. He brings it back to the Lord, unity in the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We're serving the same God. Second principle, avoid giving your conscience the same weight as God's voice in the lives of others. Your conscience convicting you is not the same as the word of God, and thus saith the Lord. I don't mean to offend you. That's just reality. Verses 7 through 12, he says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if I live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So why do you pass judgment on a brother? Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, does that make sense? Paul reiterates this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And this is one of my favorite funeral passages. But it ends with kind of a kick. In verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And I, I just want to encourage you that you, if you're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're saved. This is not about a heaven or hell judgment. This is about a reward judgment that you will receive a reward for what you have done in the body. But the reminder here is this. That God is the judge, not us. So we need to be very careful as we interact with other people. Third principle, be patient and kind toward those who see things differently. Now, I'm a great debater. I, I come, well, I am a debater. I, I love 
I, I have loved to argue. I don't love it as much anymore. I'm quarrelsome by nature. I just like to play the devil's advocate. Most people don't think that's fun. I rarely, every once in a while, I'll find somebody that's like that, that I, I can enjoy and we can talk and we can debate and, and really get into it. But most of the time I avoid that because it doesn't add for unity in the faith. I think that I can learn from someone else in a debate situation. But a lot of times spirits are wounded and opinions hurt other people at times. Paul goes on, he says in verses 13 through 15, he said, Therefore let not, let's not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So you mean I got to give up my bacon and my steak? You mean I might have to worship on a Saturday rather than Sunday sometime? Perhaps. For the sake of the love of a brother or sister in Christ. Well, then, Chris, does that mean that I've come under bondage to what their opinion is? No. It's a matter of not quarrelsome to get along with that other brother or sister, whether they are weaker or whether they are stronger. That leads us to our fourth principle, which is to prioritize the spiritual health of others over your personal freedoms. He goes on to say, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wow. So it's not about eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is not wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what, by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not of faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so here's a matter of conscience here that we have to have faith in what we are doing, faith in that opinion, as long as it doesn't go against thus saith the Lord, it is not sin, but we also have to look at what it will do to our brother or our sister in Christ. Because we, as Christians, mature Christians, never should say, that's just their problem, they are going just to have to get over it. In areas of opinion. Paul says also to 
support what he's saying in Romans. In Galatians 5, 13 and 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, that's what he says, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mutual benefit, mutual concern in love. And finally, the fifth principle is this. We are not trying to win a debate. We are trying to win a war. Amen? If we're debating over words and opinions, then we're losing the war and creating division in amongst ourselves. And our war is against Satan. One that wants to kill, wants to steal, and wants to destroy you. But God wants to give us life and life to the full. Remember who the battle is. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against those people we have a difference of opinion with. It is a battle, a spiritual battle, that life, eternal life, and death play in the balance. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 15, and he says this. And I I included this passage because somebody said, well, I gave those guys the assignment that they had to do multiple passages of Scripture while I was gone. Well, I, I just wanted to give myself one as well. So don't feel rejected, Dan or John, over this. So we want to go into Romans 15. Here's what Paul says in summation to this idea of quarreling over opinion. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. I think that last phrase sums all of this up. That Christ welcomes us through his grace. None of us are worthy, saved by grace through faith. That he welcomes us as his beloved, beloved of God. As friends and family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So with that benefit of the doubt, he says, come on in to my family. And when we disagree with our family, don't we still end up being family when we lovingly disagree and then we let it go because it's not to be of division because we are to live in harmony? Isn't that what we want in Christ? So how do you disagree? How do you disagree? Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we live in a sinful, fallen world, and we're thankful that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ through grace 
by faith that we could be saved. To know freedom from sin and freedom from eternal death and hell. And Father, just now, as we have opinions, as we've grown in faith, Father, may we disagree agreeably, realizing that the end result is unity and love and mutual support and encouragement as we grow together in Christ. That we might be about your business, Father, of seeking and saving the lost and helping to mature people in the faith that we all might grow in the unity of faith to the point that when heaven comes that we won't see the difference because we'll be living heaven on earth with one another. That our bond would be of that nature, of that strength. Father, we just pray that for those that haven't received the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives, they would come to know you this day. And Father, those of us that need to grow and mature in our faith, that Father, that we would make that next step of faith in relationship to you. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?